0: Ahoy, authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing
1: skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain.
0: Welcome to episode 125 of The Writership Podcast. Today, we're talking about putting your writing first. I'm Leslie Watts, and I'm joined by poet and creative coach Mark McGinnis. To learn more about the podcast, visit slash podcast. Jim Cookrell of the Author Marketing Club and the Selmore Book Show is doing another big conference, this time in Chicago in May of 2018. It's called the Selmore Book Show Summit. And you can learn more about it and get a ticket at sellmorebookshow.com summit. Join 175 other writers and publishing friends for this interactive two-day conference and networking event in Chicago. Eat, drink, and learn together and be on your way to building a stronger and more profitable career as an author. Only 175 seats are available, and early bird pricing will run out soon. Visit sellmorebookshow.com slash summit to grab your ticket. Okay, today we're changing things up a little bit, and I have quite a treat for you in my discussion with Mark McGinnis. I think you're going to really enjoy it. But before we get started, I wanted to mention the 7-Day Scene Intensive. After more than 120 episodes of giving feedback on scenes, I have a lot to say about them and what makes them work and how they can be made stronger. As you know, scenes aren't the whole story, but it turns out that mastering scenes is the most efficient way to become a better storyteller. I hear from writers who feel frustrated because the great story that they know they can write seems just outside their grasp. And I hear them say, is this good enough? And what I actually hear under that is often, am I wasting my time? And what I want to say is that writing is not a mystical gift that you're born with or not. And though some writers have natural storytelling abilities, they too must practice the craft if they want to grow and become better. So if your story isn't where you want it to be right now, you can learn to master scenes and become a better writer. So I've teamed up with my good friend and fellow Story Grid editor, Kim Kessler, to create an intensive to help you do just that. So for the seven day scene intensive, we considered the best of our combined writing and editing knowledge and experience, along with the factors that foster powerful learning. And we distilled all this into two deceptively simple principles, which I talk about on the site. So the seven day scene intensive happens February 4th, through 10, and if you're ready to master scenes, please visit writership.com courses. Okay, now for the discussion with Mark McGinnis. Mark is a poet who's been coaching professionals since 1996. You can find his poems in leading poetry journals and at markmcginnis.com. Mark is also the author of Productivity for Creative People, Motivation for Creative People, and Resilience, Facing Down Rejection and Criticism on the Road to Success. He's also the co-author of Manage Your Day-to-Day and Maximize Your Potential, published by 99U. He is the host of the 21st Century Creative, a podcast that helps you succeed as a creative professional amid the demands and distractions and opportunities of the 21st century, which you can find on iTunes and at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. And you can find those links and all those titles on the website as well. So, Mark, um I'm so excited to have you here. I've kind of um I first heard you on Joanna Penn's podcast um quite some time ago. Mm-hmm. And then I have the um the 99U books that you are a co-author in.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh and then when your podcast came out, earlier this year it just blew me away it's so the intention you know the obvious intention that you put into both the choosing the guests and crafting each show for creatives the 20th 21st century creative Mm -hmm. um to, to mention that again is it was really yeah it blew me away and i think it's so useful for creatives because it's not. Um, I was trying to think about like what's special about the podcast, and part of it is it's not like Marine Corps boot camp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not ah, you know, but there's this like gentle insistence that we do the work and mm-hmm. support ourselves, but not in an unsustainable way. Like it's important that we be able to sustain ourselves. Uh, yeah, I found that really supportive.
1: Oh, that's great to hear. I hadn't thought about gentle insistence, but I, <laughs> I quite like that.
0: <laughs> so one of the things you said in the, in the introduction, you shared a Robert Graves quote Since the age of 15, poetry has been my ruling passion, and I have never intentionally undertaken any task or formed any relationship that seemed inconsistent with poetic principles. And I know we're going to talk about creatives and and get into putting our writing first, but since this is what you led with in the podcast, I wanted to talk about that for a moment. Um, wh- how does that show up in your life that, you know, that it's a passion? Obviously, you write poetry, you translate poetry. But what is it that poetry gives you? And and how do you take that a- an intention into your relationships and into your other tasks?
1: Well, I I'd rather like listening to you say that again graves says i have never intentionally undertaken any task or formed any relationship that seemed inconsistent with poetic principles and i think there's quite a lot of truth in that intentionally because i can certainly think of times when i was involved in work and in relationships that was really not doing my poetry any good Mm -hmm. and for me what that quote is it's a it's a touchstone about being true to myself And I've certainly noticed there's times in my life when I've been in situations that I wasn't being completely authentic and true to myself, were not coincidentally the times when I was really struggling to write any poetry. And, you know, there's certainly been times when I've realized, for instance, I didn't want to work in academia because I realized that was not doing my poetry any good, just thinking in a purely critical mindset approach to literature I had the same issue with the corporate world. I realized I was not, uh, it didn't resonate well for me. And maybe there's been one or two relationships that I've thought, you know what, this is not really, this isn't the real me and it's better to walk away from this. And again, you know, poetry was one of the the signs. It, it always, that I've kind of lost uh, what Dante called the true path.
0: Wow, yeah that makes so much sense. And I can see, you know, just as you were talking, it's, it's hard not to think in my own life, the places, the times, the relationships when I wasn't being true to myself. And precisely that those are the times when I haven't been writing. And so that, yeah, (laughs) it's so important, I think, because part of, living a fulfilling life I think is expressing our gifts that we have our unique take on life and that when we're not doing that or when we're in situations where we're not doing that it it's it almost seems like like poetry for you is a sort of barometer on how you're doing in the rest of life is that accurate
1: yeah I would think so or maybe even to put it the other way around, to say that, um, you know, my, life, my career at least has been an ongoing experiment in trying to create conditions that are compatible with writing poetry mm-hmm. because there are plenty of conditions out there that I've discovered are not compatible with that. And uh, so it's re- you know, for instance, I like reading biographies of poets and I'm not really interested in, the gossipy details but i'm interested in how did they deal with having poetry in their life because it's not a convenient thing in lots of ways <laughs> it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of dedication um it inconveniently reminds you that you need you're not being true to yourself at certain points it doesn't have a huge amount of fame and money and other rewards on offer so I was, I've always been fascinated by looking at poets throughout the ages. Well, how did they deal with it? Did they, you know, put it into their evenings and weekends? Or did they try and put it more center stage in their career? And there's there's lots of different answers to that.
0: Right. I loved what you described in your book about taking paper and pencil and going to the British Library to write poems, <sighs> mm-hmm. that that was – well, that's a great image for me anyway, of course. But, it, you know, it, precisely well, as a creative, you have to find what works for you.
1: Yeah. And, you know, maybe paradoxically, the, the British libraries can be inspiring poetically because it is so boring. You know, mm-hmm. there's, you're not allowed to make a noise. You're not allowed pen and ink. People frown if you type too loudly. So I deliberately went in with just pencil and paper and no phone no laptop and it was actually a a big release because when you're when the external conditions like that really force you to concentrate then that's when you get into the the state of of flow which is the reason why we all started writing in the first place
0: right right and so i want to um I want to, I do want to transition to the writing and and the habits and the creating those conditions. But I also, I have to ask you about your translation work as well. The, uh, uh because you're translating Chaucer, and mm-hmm. you have that uh, wonderful translation, um, that you submitted for the prize, the Stephen Spender.
1: That's right, Stephen Spender Prize. yeah.
0: Yeah, and so one of the things that in your comments to that that struck me was that, that part of you disapproves of translating Middle English because it's not that hard to read in the original, but you said most people won't read it without encouragement and a translation can open the door. And... What I, I love about that is that that idea of making it accessible to a wider audience because poetry gives us something that prose, you know, stories, nonfiction, it doesn't give us the same thing.
1: Well, you know, the the thing about Chaucer's poem Troilus and Crosida, which is what I'm translating, is... I think it's, well, it's certainly my favourite of his works. I could argue that it's his best. He certainly he finished it, unlike the Canterbury Tales. But, and you could also argue it is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, love poem in the English language. And yet nobody reads it because it's, what, 600 years old. It's in Middle English which is, I mean, you know, you can read it if you sit there with a good gloss and an index, but actually it's very slow going, even if you've studied it. And, f- of course, for Chaucer's contemporaries, it wouldn't have been heavy going at all. It would have been light. It would have been uh, a musical. It would have been entertaining. It, it would have been read aloud in company. But, y- you know, even if you were sat there with the original Vellum manuscript, it would have been a page turner. And the thing that you lose if you're struggling to read, you know, six, 700-year-old medieval English is that quality of speed. So I think above all else with the translation, I wanted it to be, you could pick it up and you could get lost in the story. And it is a really charming, delightful, funny, uh, entertaining and also heartbreaking, ultimately, uh, story. So I think part of my goal with it is that just to open the door for people to experience that story.
0: I think that's fantastic because it, you know, just the part that I read that you had and the, the original is in there too. So you can see how different and how similar it is. And you, you would struggle with it a bit, right? There are, you know, you can find your way and I, start, I love the idea of being able to read great works of literature in their original form, but I also think that, as you say, to make it accessible so we can get lost in it.
1: I mean, ideally, I would hope people would, it would be lovely if I could publish it one day in a facing page edition so you could read the translation but also look across the page to the Chaucer too because he's obviously a better poet than me. And and the the richness of his language is something that you're never going to get in a translation. But, um, yeah, I mean, always I think the the dream of the translator is to send people back to the original and and maybe have a look at this. It might look forbidding at first, but have a go.
0: Yeah, Uh, I love that. So speaking of having a go... We, our main topic for the day is putting your writing first. And uh, one of the things you have your book, Pro- Productivity for Creative People, and it's a great collection of why you need to do, why you need to put your writing first how to do it. it, it has all the practical aspects of a resource that I like, the what, the why, the how, the, you know, what are the problems with doing it the other way and, and that kind of thing. So it's really useful. So, so in terms of creatives, and specifically, most of my listeners are writers, it seems silly to ask, but why is it essential for our creative careers to put writing first?
1: Okay. So I know you say, why is it essential for our careers there? Okay. Mm-hmm. So let, let's look at it from the inside and then the outside. Okay. Because on a personal level, I think anybody who, who listens to this podcast on one level, the, the, the answer is obvious. We do it because we want to do it. We mm-hmm. love doing it. Probably if you're listening to this, then at some point, maybe, maybe about the same time as me, as, as a teenager, you fell in love with writing. And you knew that this was what you wanted to do and everything else seemed secondary after that. So, uh, you know, and and as we've said, it's it can be like a barometer of authenticity. So first and foremost for yourself and for your art, it's important. And in, in, in a way that really if you need to explain or justify it, that's not the point. It, it's It's like you've made a commitment to yourself inside that this is what you're going to dedicate your life to. Looking at it also from the external side, maybe on more of the career level, you know, one of my um, ideas that I like to get across to coaching clients, and I think I put this across in the podcast as well, is for people like us, there's no career ladder there's no fine gradation of promotions and job titles and a corner office and a fancy car and a head of department if you're a writer we don't you don't get that kind of stuff so you can create a lot of suffering for yourself if you compare yourself to your friends who are climbing the ladder and their progression is clear and it's externally validated by you know the world at large in, in terms of money and respectability and so on but the alternative for the to the career ladder for a writer is creating assets and so the idea of for example a book is an asset you write a book you own that it's part of your back catalog you can create different products from that you can license it or publish it yourself you can have a paperback an ebook an audiobook you could have For our language rights, you could have um, dramatization rights for TV or radio or film. There's all kinds of ways that you can exploit intellectual property in that one work. And it's not even purely in commercial terms. I mean, your book, for instance, might be well regarded within a certain literary circle that you are keen to impress. You might win a prize or an award or get a good review in the New York Times. And that adds to your literary reputation, which again becomes an asset because if you are known to be a writer of a certain standing or quality, then maybe doors will open to you in your career. Money can flow to you indirectly, even if you're writing something very literary. So the writers who are most successful as well as most fulfilled in the long term are the ones who prioritize creating assets they don't they may do work for clients they may offer writing services of some kind but they're also going to want to create their own work their own projects their own books their own blogs or scripts or whatever else whatever other medium you may be writing in And it's over time, the more of these assets you have, the more money and opportunities you can create. So this is the, this is the, the big external reason. And one that I think a lot of people miss is, you know, the value of having something that you own, that you created and people can you can point to that, say, well, this is, this is my work. And there's a lot of the more assets you have and the higher quality they are, the more, the easier and more rewarding your career will be.
0: Yeah, that's, that makes me think about a a lot of different things. But one of the things that I, that came up for me is in, in my own experience that in doing editing for others that, that, I put a lot of effort into, you know, supporting my clients and the listeners with the podcast. And I want to give, I have a, you know, I have my own mission in life related to that. And so that's really important. And at the same time, I sometimes forget to, or I lose touch with, the with my own writing and with my own creation of assets and I know you as a a coach for creatives that that you're helping people as well but you're creating boundaries that allow you to keep doing your art and so I wanted to see about the ask about the What do you do about the urge and how do you create those boundaries that ensure that you do your, your work, as well as giving back and supporting other artists?
1: Well, that's a good question. (laughs) It took me, I struggled with that one quite a long time. Um, These days I've, I'm very happy with the balance between the two, but it, it is a challenge. And, you know, there's again, probably with all these questions, I'm going to give you the internal and the external answers. Mm-hmm. So internally, um, I like to help, I like to serve. I like to facilitate other people's brilliance and see them succeed. That's very rewarding. again, it it opens to the door to what Mr. Steve Pressfield calls resistance because it could easily be a distraction from doing my own work. It might be easier to coach. Or feel easier to coach somebody to make a movie or found a company or write their novel. And, and meanwhile, my own poetry is being neglected. So on a personal level, yes, then that, that's clearly a temptation. And, and I've had to make some decisions about that. I mean, again, it comes back to the authenticity thing. I can't really look my clients in the face and say, yes, you should, you should follow your creative dream if I'm not following mine. So, I mean, on a practical level, I resolve this. I spend nearly every morning writing and nearly every afternoon coaching during the week. It probably helps that I've got quite a few clients in the States and I'm in the UK. So the time zones overlap quite nicely there. But I find that if I get up, I do my own writing first. I really enjoy that. I have a wonderful time, mostly. And mm-hmm. but by the time it gets to the afternoon, I'm really ready to talk to somebody like this is my afternoon when we're recording this. And uh, it's great to be having this conversation with you. It's it feels like a release after the, you know, the time spent s- staring at the screen earlier on. So. Um, so that's the internal. Uh, logic of it if you like and the internal temptation but there's also an external one and i'm a great believer in finding external structures for your your career or your business that support that so in my case the fact that i'm a poet means that i only coach creatives I, i only coach people who i find their work inspiring and who I never have to explain why creativity matters because they live it. And of course, that's one of the reasons they like to work with me. A lot of them will say, well, it's nice working with you because you're not a typical business coach or, or even a typical life coach. There's a lot of stuff I don't need to explain to you because we're on the same wavelength creatively. So again, that, you know, there's a nice fit there between, I like to call it symbiotic creativity, where maybe you've got two disciplines where one of them is more obviously commercial than the other, but another one may be closer to your heart creatively. So, I mean, it could be writing and editing or um, writing and teaching or or coaching or or whatever. And again, I think it's really important that the internal and the external are aligned there. And um, there's also one other case that I'd like to just draw out, Leslie, because you know you're talking about the podcast and and your work as an editor. And, and yes, you're giving a lot, but also, I mean, this podcast is an asset, is it not? I mean, you. It wasn't strictly necessary for you to do this show in order to serve your clients. It, it obviously, I'm sure, it helps you find clients, but it's I'm sure it will bring other kinds of satisfaction to you as you grow the writership brand and you've got this wonderful archive of shows there that are bringing more people an opportunity to you as as the time goes by you know it's like when I started blogging years ago people said I don't know how you find the time you know Mm -hmm. kind of implying that I, I couldn't be doing anything particularly important or productive with my day if I had time to to sit there and blog for free, but now, of course, the blog is an asset for me. I've been doing it for twelve years. The archives are pretty big. There's a lot of links. There's a lot of social media love to the content on the site, and it brings uh, clients. It brings interesting opportunities. It brings new connections to me every week. So I would say that there there can be an overlap if you do it smartly, the way you're doing on on the show. Because you're you're serving your community, but you're also creating an asset at the same time.
0: Right. I think that's a great point because I do get a lot of energy from it as well because I well, I love the work, and I love working with lots of different people. And yes, it's, um, I mean, I, I guess not everybody I don't you know I don't know what people are experiencing um, internally but but I get a lot of great feedback from the authors we who submit and they they get feedback and it's useful to them and I mean, let's face it like as you said earlier, we don't get a lot of we're not getting promotions and The normal things within a career, within a corporate career or government career, where you get some validation for your work in those kinds of ways. And it's nice to have the, it's nice to hear somebody say, thank you, and I appreciate this, and wow, that really helped me. Uh, I don't want to need that, (laughs) but it's nice to have. (laughs)
1: Right. And, you know, it's an important distinction. We can be needy and, and looking for self-validation from that. But I think it's perfectly reasonable and healthy to take some encouragement when somebody says thank you or leaves us a gold star on iTunes or or, or shares the, the show or, or, or whatever other way the, the positive feedback comes. So I think that's definitely, uh, and also it's it's you're reminding me again you know we're plugged into the wider world out here where there's the community of of writers and hopefully we'll create something valuable from this conversation and share that with them and that's part of our contribution which again feels good
0: yeah so when one thing so the that's sort of the big picture of you know, putting your writing first and and that but getting into like the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts, how do we manage this on a daily basis? Because there you know, part we have, as you mentioned, and the part of the the part of the idea between, behind the 21st century creative is that we live in this world that's highly connected it creates amazing opportunities to meet and connect with people around the world and for people to hear your words and read your stories and, in you know, who wouldn't, you know, 50 years ago they would have never known. And so that's the amazing part. But then we have the distractions and the difficulties of turning things off and really being able to focus. In fact, I think that, you know, people have talked about how we're actually sort of losing our ability to focus because of the habit of responding to our phones and other devices and, and notifications and things. So in, and then of course we have, family obligations or you know a lot of people while they're building their creative business they have other you know they might have a day job that is not not related necessarily to their creative work and so we have all these competing demands on our time and energy and focus so how do we in the you know, in the face of all that, how do we focus on a daily basis and put our writing first?
1: Well, I think first of all, it just comes of recognizing that this is an issue. That if we're just running on autopilot, then <clears throat> excuse me, then really we're handing the remote control to Mr. Zuckerberg and and Twitter and Google and, and all the, all those good folk whose job it is to command our attention through these wonderful devices. So, I mean, just on a small scale, when we came on this call, I switched the Skype notification to do not disturb. I switched my phone onto airplane mode. I mean, that's just become a force of habit whenever it's time for me to focus, Um, whether it's a piece of writing or it's a client call or, um, you know, something like this. So, you know, on a micro level, it's being more aware and becoming more self-aware so there could be some kind of meditation practice which is obviously designed to help us focus and become self-aware i like to start the day with that and i also find that it's really important for me to put hard edges in the day and say so this is family time this is me time this is writing time, this is lunchtime, <laughs> this is client time, and this is me and my wife time in the evening. And when I know, so for instance, for me, it's putting the writing in the first part of the day. And I have a set of rules about what I'm allowed to do. I'm not allowed to answer email before lunch. I'm not allowed to um, be checking Twitter and Facebook and the news and um doing administration or even doing research my job in the morning is to write and once i've really thought that through and decided these are the rules of the game for me then i'm either keeping the commitment by writing or i'm avoiding writing whatever else it is it's just, it's avoiding writing and it's not always uh it's not necessarily going to be an easy choice to make but it's a fairly simple choice if i've narrowed it down to that so I would say the number one thing is make sure you've got a time and a place for everything. If it, it's much easier to get a lot done, particularly as a writer, I think if you do have a regular routine, a regular habit that's going to support that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we're as our if our brains change from responding to notifications on devices, then we can change them in a more positive way by having the routines you even mentioned rituals in in your book and that these things kind of get us in the, the right frame of mind to be ready to do the creative work and to focus
1: Right. So this, I mean, it's internal, external again, isn't it? So we've, you know, externally, I would say, do everything you can to arrange your day so that there is some dedicated time for writing. You know, even if you're working nine to five or even longer hours, if you've got, say, half an hour or an hour in the morning or the evening, or you might say, I'm going to make Saturday morning my writing time, just dedicate that to it and keep everything else away from it. You know, really fight for that time. But So that's on the external side, but then the internal is if you are aware of how your brain works, particularly your emotional brain, there are certain things you can do that will make it easier to get into a focused writing state when it's time. So, for instance, my original professional training 22, 23 years ago, something like that, was as a hypnotherapist. And one of the things I learned when I studied hypnosis was that our mind works a lot of the time by association. If we associate certain uh, places, certain um, sights, or sounds or particularly smell, smell is a very powerful one, we can learn to associate that with different states of mind. And you can cultivate this quite deliberately. So, for instance, one reason – i think incense is used in a lot of religious rituals is that it is a it's such a powerful and distinctive smell and it's not something that you encounter in your typical day uh, you know it is a you might smell it when you go to church or when you go to the temple and that will help you enter a different state of mind it will maybe calm you down um Help you to focus more internally, be less worried about the day-to-day stuff and so on. And I think we can cultivate this as writers by deliberately having a routine that shades into a ritual. Um, So mine, for instance, I will walk the children to school, then I will come back. I'll do a bit of uh, walking meditation downstairs before I come up to write Then, of course, I will be drinking coffee. It's impossible to write without coffee. I'm sure we all know that that's been scientifically proven. I'm
0: familiar Um, with this, yes.
1: (laughs) And it's always from the same coffee mug. I have a beautiful uh, Japanese tea mug that's decorated with Star Wars characters. And um, so that always makes me smile and helps me focus. And I'm the only person who's ever allowed to drink from that cup, of course. And I only ever drink coffee from that and it's only ever when it's time to write. So the association with that mug, you know, even when I I just look at it or touch it, it's telling my my emotional brain, "Oh, time to fire up the writing part of the brain." I will light some incense in the office. I will play uh, some music. Quite often the music may relate to the the kind of theme of the writing I'm doing so if I'm list- I'm doing the Chaucer then I will be listening to medieval music and you know and so on I mean if I'm writing prose I use speech recognition so I, I put the, the font size up to about size 30 so I can see it from the other side of the room and then I walk up and down and dictate to the computer and of course I, I don't normally write email with a size 30 font so again my brain's learned to associate that particular you know visual uh field with the writing of books and articles about creativity so i would say and a lot of writers and, and other creatives they have this naturally they will say that lots of times i've heard them coaching clients say to Well, you think it's silly, but I always have to wear purple if I'm painting. Or I always have to drink this particular brand of tea that I never drink at any other time. Or I have to listen to this one album over and over again. Or I can only really write in my favorite cafe or my favorite studio. Now, okay, we can fetishize this and sometimes it can be an excuse that conditions aren't perfect. But there's also a lot of truth in it that if you artfully design a ritual if you've got a certain configuration of sights and smells and sounds and maybe tastes that you say to yourself well this is going to be part of my writing ritual that can actually help you get into that state of mind because what you're you're activating feelings in the emotional brain um, sensations in the body you're actually evoking a particular state which, and again, a lot of the time, the, the struggle of writing, it's not so much thinking about what to write, because you can't really do that consciously, I think, a lot of the time. But it's getting into the same state you were in when you last you know, were writing this story. When you're back into that state and you're back into the world of the story, then it flows fairly easily. So if you start looking at writing as a state management challenge, then a ritual can really help you get into the right state at the right time.
0: Uh, that's so. That's so good, um, and it brought up so many things that I wanted to uh, to follow up on because I had been, you know, I had had some really great rituals before, um, and then I there were some challenging events over the summer, and then transitions to school in the fall. And some of those rituals had sort of fallen away. And when I read your book, it to prepare for this, it reminded me, oh, yeah, there are those things that help me. It just, I mean, it's almost as if it like shifting gears or something, you know, like that there's this, a distinct shift within me that helps me get into the mindset. And it was like, I don't know, like reconnecting with an old friend when I started, when I picked those up again. And because they had been so, you know, integrated, I guess, before, that it was, you know, I just fell back into it. And I didn't know that I was making life harder for myself by mm-hmm. not doing that. Right. Those and things.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be just even a little thing. Like one thing I discovered over the summer was Scrivener for iPhone, mm-hmm. which, and I've been using Scrivener for years and never even crossed my mind to use the iPhone version. But then I thought, well, hang on a minute. This means... I can have all my poems in my pocket wherever I go. Wow. And a lot of the writing of poetry is just a little tweaking here and a little tweaking there. It's like, no, not a comma there, a semicolon, or no, that isn't the right word. So a lot of it is is just tweaking and, and twiddling and playing around with it. So I didn't need to type big, long reams of stuff. And I took it on holiday with me. So I was in Japan on the subway in Tokyo, and I would be, well, what can I do on this? you know, quite a long journey. And I would look and there would be the Scrivener icon. And as soon as I looked at it, it just gave me a little twinge of the writing feeling and I would open it up and I could be lost in a poem just sitting there on the subway. And even the sight of that, you know, the nice black and white Scrivener mm-hmm. logo, the the yin and yang symbol, that just was enough to remind me. So it, it doesn't need to be a big, long you know, forty-five minute temple ritual to get you in the in that state. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right.
1: You can and have your rituals to go.
0: <laughs> and it's very individual. Yes. Because you know, I have a little candle, I have a little incense, you know, and it's very quick. Like as soon as I smell them, they're. Yeah, it's you know, and then I know some people who, you know wouldn't want the incense because they don't want to be overwhelmed by the smell. And, and so it's really about finding the thing that works best for you. And then, and then I think we're probably reminders to do it.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: So when it comes to, to, um, you talked about how important it is to, you know to do your creative work when you know at a particular time of the day for you it's the morning when you're you know rested fresh your young ones are off to school and you have you know you're essentially you're using your the the time when you're most alert and awake and ready
1: yes yes and for different people- like some people are evening people or night owls, or there's even a few who would say the afternoon is the clearest type, so again, this is where a bit of self knowledge comes in if you know that you're an evening person then then make use of your evenings if you're if you're naturally a morning person then then guard that with your life.
0: I love that guard that with your life it's because it is right it's like it's your authentic your true self and that expression well, yeah
1: it's, it's it's like as, as the great jock steen the football manager said of about football he said you know it, it, some people say it's a matter of life and death but i can assure them it's far more important than that <laughs>
0: <laughs> right yes we're, we're familiar with with football being very serious, a different kind of football.
1: Football and poetry, right. (laughs) (laughs) And novel writing, of course.
0: (laughs) Right. So when we're, I know that sometimes I feel a little constricted by not so much the, the boundaries that I set for myself around my creative work, but, the intrusions from other, um, you know, other other things, other people, other places, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of invade, yeah, intrude on that time. And so, in guarding with my life, I have to, I have to make compromises. I have to. Um, sometimes we have to shorten that time, um, but I I loved what you mentioned that if you have like if something comes up, things come up, but to reschedule that creative time if you ha- if you do have to invade it.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's no point beating yourself over the head if you absolutely can't. And sometimes some stuff is more important. Like, So if one of my children has an appointment at the hospital and that's the only time the consultant can see them, then I'm going to drive them to the hospital that morning. It's not, uh, you know, you don't have to be too rigid, but I will try and pay myself back by having some writing later in the week that would make up for that. Another thing I think it's important to do is to recognize that not all days are the same. Mm. So I say most of my, and and to think in terms of templates for different types of day, the way you might have say templates for different types of web page. you know, you have one, one layout for the homepage of your site, another one for a blog post, another one for a landing page, another one maybe for a video page or, or whatever. And so for instance, my, My default template is that I'm at home and I'm writing in the morning and I'm coaching clients on Skype in the afternoon. But sometimes I'm working with a client in person for half a day or a whole day or even several days in a row. And clearly, that's a very different kind of day. I'm not going to get a full mornings writing in then. So I, I don't even try. I might do a bit on the journey on the way. And I will just keep just have a very brief check of my email, maybe at lunchtime and then at the end of the day, just to make sure there's another client who's not having uh, you know an emergency today. But other than that, I'm just focused on the client. Now, obviously, if I'm going to be a professional writer as well as a professional coach, I can't have too many days like that. But it's still, you know, it's part of the business. It's part of the work I do. Um, I don't beat myself up. So I would say if maybe some days are going to be different and more challenging than others, then anticipate that and create a template for that day that, well, if I can only do half an hour today, then that will be a success, even though normally I would want to do a minimum of three or four hours.
0: Right. And it, it's, I think maybe maybe that's part of too, um, we have the rituals and the particular times of day when we're doing certain things. and um, you said that you know really ring fencing your time for creative work, but understanding that we need to be flexible with things, but a sort of firm flexibility to so that we're not being blown away. By just, you know, whatever happens by
1: Right, right. So do so there's there's if you like, you know, there's strategic flexibility where you'll say, well, actually there are certain days of the week or certain weeks when I, I really do have other priorities and I'm gonna f- focus on that. But I think what we need to watch out for is just being um, just caving in when somebody says, well, can I pop round at 10 o'clock tomorrow? And you know it's your writing time. And Resistance says, yes, that will be fine. I'll make you a cup of tea. <laughs> and the writer is in inside is screaming, no, don't do it, but it's too late. So I think, first of all, you know, be really clear about what your goals are. So for, for instance, it's really hard to get an appointment with me in the morning. If you live in Australia, then that's fine because that's the only way the time zones are going to, um align so i I, um and i generally won't have more than one southern hemisphere client at a time for that reason because otherwise if i've got five of them then my i lose all my mornings but Mm -hmm. you know sometimes i really want to work with somebody um another thing is but don't tell people i can't meet then i can't do it then because i'm writing because you know, then they say, "Well, oh, oh, that's all right. I, it won't take long. I'll, I'll just be ten minutes." And of mm-hmm. course, what they don't realise is they're shattering your concentration. And they're and it's really hard if your best friend comes around and you say, "Okay, that, that's it. Bye." You know, after they drop the package off or whatever, mm-hmm. there's a social obligation. You know, you're likely to be sitting and chatting for a while. So, what I generally recommend to clients that they do is just say quite truthfully. I'm sorry, that time's already booked. What about meeting in the afternoon? Or what about meeting in the evening? And nearly always you can accommodate people this way. So it's just one other way that resistance will get in because it will say, oh, well, you know, I had to go to the dentist then. But actually, maybe if you'd asked the dentist receptionist, is there an afternoon appointment the following week? You would probably have got one. So... Watch out for stuff like that just just happening to arrive in your diary.
0: Just happening to arrive. Mm, I love that. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that also brings me to what you talk about, the difference between incubation and procrastination. And we have, you know, we sometimes need to let things sit. We need to mull things over the, you know, we've, come up against a creative problem that we need to solve and what we need a little time away from the actual work but that's obviously very different from procrastinating that you know another tool of resistance or a friend of resistance and so I just thought your just your explanation of the difference between them was so simple and yet pretty, you know, I mean, s- spot on and, oh, like, brilliant, because I hadn't thought about it that way, but it makes so much sense that incubation happens after the hard work.
1: That's right. Procrastination
0: yeah. happens before.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the simple rule. If you're thinking, you know, should I incubate, should I allow my muse to to digest and, you know – uh, because you you can go too far either way. You can be working so hard and pushing yourself that there's never really you're not leaving space for the the writing to marinate. Is one of my favourite metaphors. You know, you write something, you let it marinate for a bit, and then you go back, and it's it's you know it's 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 evolved or you've evolved maybe. So that's one thing you've got to watch out for. If you never allow any time for incubation you never have a break you're actually going to end up risking you burning yourself out creatively and otherwise but of course it can be a great excuse you say well i'm just letting things incubate this morning Um, but you haven't really and so the famous example of this is the the mathematician Henri poincaré who wrote in his diary i think it was the 19th century where he was working really hard to solve some obscure mathematical problems problems that only mathematicians would understand and he worked really hard worked really hard couldn't get anywhere couldn't get anywhere gave up almost in despair and then went on holiday and he would be walking along the beach or on one occasion he was stepping onto an omnibus and the solution came to him perfectly formed and this is one of the things he noticed was it generally happened after after a period of really hard work so work hard then relax is a good approach to that kind of thing
0: yeah and and for you know the the overload right i mean to me it it seems like as creatives we face sort of in terms of just doing the work we face the overload and then we face the kind of procrastination and the overload itself can be a form of resistance in a way because We can be, uh, you have this great, this great line in your book. If you're focused on getting things done, there's a danger that you will do this indiscriminately. And I immediately recognized myself in that, that, you know, I'm getting things, I'm focusing on checking things off a big list, but are they the important things that I, you know, that will... Be most useful to me, most energizing to me, and that not necessarily, and that it just becomes a habit. And
1: yeah, another coach I uh, studied with is a guy called Steve Chandler who says, and he's quite uncompromising, he says, Business is laziness. Mm-hmm. You know, because and we, I think we all know what that means. It's it's you can be on the hamster wheel of doing stuff that isn't particularly difficult or meaningful in order to avoid the difficult and meaningful challenge. And it's this is certainly a, um, a situation I found myself in um, when I first discovered productivity and time management books. I was trying to deal with this sense of overload of having too many things to do and. It took a while for the penny to drop that I wasn't actually discriminating enough about the things that I let onto my day. And so I remember this, I can't remember what it was called. There was some time management tool, uh, you know, to-do list tool that I just kept feeding stuff into. And I ended up with hundreds of tasks in it. And every time I looked at it, my energy just went through the floor because I thought there's no way I'm ever going to do half of that stuff. And (laughs) eventually I just deleted it and I felt so much better. It's
0: so interesting, isn't it? And I think, you know, different people work differently. So they have, it's important to find the right system for you. But that, you know, busyness equals laziness reminds me of what Hemingway said about it's easier to write something long than it is sh- to write something short. Or yeah. I'm paraphrasing, that's not the direct quote. But basically, that. If you're going to use your time wisely and create space in your day so that you can transition from one thing to another so that you don't feel that anxious, uh, jittery, got to get it done, got to get it done, you know, all of that. Like you have to be intentional up front and yeah. you have to be very choosy about what you're what you're spending your
1: time on right so there's there's that intentional word again right Mm -hmm. i think it's so important before we go anywhere near systems and how am i going to do this and what what system or what app or what routine will i create is ask yourself what do i really want to create with my life and it's not endless it's not going to last forever and why is that important and then it will, that is a wonderful way of simplifying things. You know, if if you want to imagine looking back from your deathbed and think, well, what did I do? Did I write endless twi- tweets on Twitter? Did I have, you know, the most populous Facebook page? But, or did I really write the two or three books? Maybe, maybe there's more, but it is not going to be an endless number of books that really left my mark on, you know my field as a writer and when and there's quite a sobering question to ask and then you think well if not me then who else is going to do it and if I'm not going to do it today then when am i going to do it because there's always going to be something else uh, trying to grab our attention so i think really stopping to think what what you know if you just say as a writer what are the books or the projects that i really really feel compelled to put down on a on a screen or on paper, however you do it and and the ones that I will regret the most if I don't do them. and then ask yourself, well where am I going to put that this week? you know what what am I going to contribute to that? Then you know so for me the the essence of the book Productivity for Creative People is making that decision first. what is it that I'm going to do? And then putting that in the week, putting that in the schedule first, and then the last part of the book, I call it deal with the rest. Find a way to manage your email, to manage meetings, to manage phone calls, to, I don't know, keep your accounts updated or social media or whatever it may be. But don't let that be the stuff that you do first because that stuff is endless.
0: Yeah, yeah, and as you said... Nothing is more important than doing the creative work that only you can do.
1: Well, there's family too, of course, and friends, and and it's it's obviously important. I'm assuming that you're putting some, making some space and time for your loved ones in your life. Um, But it's you know, as Freud said, you know, there's two types of satisfaction in life. There's love, and there's work, and one is never a substitute for the other. So you know, make make time for the good folks in your life too.
0: Right, right. I think that feeds us as much, or in a different way, as the creative work can do. Because you know, we we need that. I, it's easy for me to get lost in work and to just, um, yeah, get get lost in it. Like just enter it, and it's as if nothing else exists. And I need the the pull of my family and friends to you know to help bring me out of that sometimes
1: yes yes very important i always find it very important to have people in my life who don't take me too seriously (laughs) right Because my projects can be a bit all-consuming sometimes, and (laughs) it's nice to hang out with people who are just like, "Well, really? Okay, fine."
0: (laughs) Right. I. It's as you say. Like it's good to have a balance of people who are who are get as excited about as you do about certain projects and and yeah, yeah. You need
1: those folks too. You need those folks too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then. And in my life, it seems like those people have been harder to come by. Um,
1: Yeah, you need to seek them out. And this is another thing that the internet does make easier. I mean, for me, one of the great, uh, really lovely experience was the day I discovered the poetry school in London. And I walked in to Mimi Calvati's class and I just realized I felt at home because these people were just as obsessed as I was by poetry and there's not too many occasions when I've been surrounded by that kind of person in my life up to that point so and again you know some of those people are are friends to this day about 15 odd years later and it's it's tremendously rewarding to share the journey with with like-minded people and and people that you know I can have conversations for instance with poets that I can't have with anyone else because there's certain things that we have in common from that and the same with coaches and these days with podcasters as well you know so make sure you you see and you may have to seek them out but it's really important that you do because a lot of the time you discover things that you think are personal to you and maybe I don't know what's wrong with me I always get stuck with that and then you discover everybody else in the field does does too it's just an occupational hazard then that can be a a bit of a weight lifted off your mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's true, <laughs> like true with a capital T. <laughs> um, so, one of the one of the things that I normally do for on the show is have an editorial mission, and we talked a little bit about something to you know to a little an exercise for people to take away with them um, after after our talk and you had such a great idea i was going to go for the very practical you know plan your ideal day and pick one thing but you had an even better suggestion
1: make time this week to do some useless writing so writing that you can't justify that nobody's paying you for that nobody's asking for that maybe feels like a bit of an indulgence or a little bit risky or silly or or or, or, or something else and so you've been putting it off and you haven't done it or you've thought well maybe one day I'll do that but just give an hour to it this week and see what happens and I will bet at the very least, you'll be glad you did it. You will enjoy it. It will give you a spring in the step the rest of the week. And who knows it could turn into something quite extraordinary that you would never really expected um something so interesting could come from s- such inauspicious beginnings but but don't even think about that now, don't because you can't go in with any expectation. Just go in with the intention of pleasing yourself. And writing something that will have no practical application whatsoever.
0: Uh, I love that um, because it's so I mean i've I've studied with Natalie Goldberg and and done writing practice, and you know she suggests just writing for two years like that, just filling notebooks with writing practice, writing without editing. And, um, you know, like no crossing out, just keep going, keep your hand going. That's Mm. the rule. And I get so much out of just having that. It feels free. Like I don't have to, I'm not trying to please anyone but myself. Yes. And it's, it's, it gives back so much.
1: I love her book. I never met her but I read her book Writing Down the Bones years ago mm-hmm. and that that was a really really inspiring book from that point of view to just to just go with it wherever it is going to take you you don't decide
0: Yeah yeah I love it Okay well I I want to be respectful of your time so um I want to bring this to a close but I've enjoyed talking with you so much. It's, um, i learned a lot from the book. I've learned a lot from your podcast. And, you know, just kind of following what you do. But it's really, it's been a delight and a treat to talk with you and, um, and share you with my listeners. And so it, if people want to find you, you have you have uh, series one of your podcast out that people can listen to, and they can find that at, on iTunes, of course, but also 21st stcenturycreativefm um, And your books uh, include the one that we're talking we talked more about, producti- productivity for creative people today. Today we spent time t- yes. talking about that, yeah. but you have lots of other books on motivation, resilience. You have the ninety nine U books on managing your day to day and maximizing your potential, and what um, you have a you'll have another series of the twenty first century.
1: Yes, early twenty eighteen, it will be coming out. I've recorded most of it, and we've got some really uh, exciting and interesting and inspiring interviews already in the can. So yes, uh, early in the new year, it will be coming out.
0: Excellent. And of course, people can find your poetry at, uh, it's com, right? That's sure right, yes. That. Yeah, which I think, I really encourage people to go check out because um, even it, you know even if poetry is not something that normally pulls you, that it's a very... It's such a, it feels like a literary indulgence to read poetry, which is, it's, it's fun and lovely. And I think the constraints around poetry and the, you know, the structure and the, that just, it produces such a lovely effect that we're not used to receiving in prose. And it's a great inspiration. So I would encourage people to check that out as well. So thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your being here today.
1: Well, thank you, Leslie. And I, you know, I really appreciate the great questions, the thought that's gone into this show as, as usual with you. And I hope it's been uh, I- interesting and, and hopefully useful for somebody listening to this. Thanks.
0: All right, so Jim Kukrel of the Author Marketing Club and the Sell More Book Show is doing another big conference, this time in Chicago in May of 2018. It's called the Sell More Book Show Summit, and you can learn more and get your ticket at sellmorebookshow.com summit join 175 other writers and publishing friends for this interactive 2-day conference and networking event in Chicago eat drink and learn together and be on your way to building a stronger and more profitable career as an author only 175 seats are available and early bird pricing will run out soon visit sellmorebookshow.com/summit to grab your ticket. Jim Kukral and the Author Marketing Club cover hosting and technical support for the show, but our Patreon crew supports our time in producing it. At the quartermasters level, you can join the Writership Podcast Book Club, in which we read a published story, then discuss it in recorded call each month. For more information about the book club or other ways to support the podcast, visit patreon.com writership. If you enjoy the show and want to show your support in other ways, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to have your five pages reviewed on the podcast, please visit writership.com submissions. And finally, if you're ready to master scenes to write better stories, visit writership.com slash courses. That's it for episode 125. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the
1: treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.